straight ahead on this September 2020 edition of On SI. The 19th anniversary of September 11, 2001, was certainly different than previous years, with the fight against COVID-19 still ongoing. Yet for many on Staten Island, a borough hit hard by the pandemic and 9-11, the pledge to never forget remains as steadfast as ever. What seemed unlikely back in March when schools were forced to shutter to help save lives during the coronavirus deadly outbreak, another school year has been completely upended. How two community-based programs are providing educational services for island students. And while small businesses start to pick up the pieces from unprecedented lockdowns and forced closures, there are still some that are pumped to get back into action. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. We begin this month with the anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 2001 that forever changed New York City. On that September day 19 years ago, 275 people with ties to Staten Island died. Some were simply at their desks starting their workday. Others had rushed to the burning buildings to save lives. Since then, memorials, community gatherings, and ceremonies have helped unite people with a shared sense of loss and common purpose to grow stronger. On Staten Island, one place that has endured is Angel Circle in Grasmere. And while 9-11 was solemnly commemorated this year at the neighborhood landmark, it was impacted like never before by the ongoing pandemic. Our Joe Malvasio has more. Since 2001, the corner of Highland Boulevard and Fingerboard Road has been a place for Staten Islanders to come together to remember and reflect. But for the first time in nearly two decades, there was no formal gathering on the anniversary of the terror attacks. A tough decision for Wendy Pellegrino, the founder and primary caretaker of the site. Acknowledging the need for social distancing, she instead spruced up the small memorial on the former traffic median, lit seven-day candles, and informed the community that Angel's Circle was available all week for visitors. And then I, I posted on the gate that anyone was welcome to come in and visit, uh, you know, whenever they felt like it without there being a crowd there. After making sure that all of the memorial photos were looking their best, she videotaped each one and posted it on the Circle's Facebook page. On 9-11, they could just go on to the Angel Circle Facebook page and they could see a picture of their loved one and they could see how pretty Angel Circle looked and they could see that the, uh, the candles were burning. Pellegrino says as time marches on, she makes it a priority to get young people involved with helping to tend to the memorial. She says she often hears from them that photographs of each victim helps bring the story of that day to life more so than a simple list of names. You know, they hear about Angel Circle and they know about 9-11, but when they walk into Angel Circle and they actually see the faces of the people who died, and many of them are young, uh, that's when they really first realize what happened. She says the nation's response to the attacks, coming together, helping others, and caring for fellow Americans is what she hopes the next generation always remembers. 
a lot of goodness have come out of the hatred. And I think that's the message that we want to pass on to the next generation. And we don't want to forget what happened that day because that was truly hatred. And to see what that did and what that destroyed. And yet, if we turn it around and we are kind and compassionate and do good for others, what that can accomplish. For many parents, the new school year has been challenging as students of all ages are forced to endure curriculum and classroom time stymied by the pandemic. There are no easy or one-size-fits-all solutions to overcoming this, but there are a number of innovative public and private resources that are available. I recently spoke with Derek Barrero of The Resource Room and Eric James of Young Minds in Motion, who are both at the helm of businesses that specialize in helping students succeed. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having us. I agree. So, first off, can you give our listeners a brief overview of what each of your facilities offer Staten Islanders? So, we're a gifted and talented prep program. So, we service children between the ages of two all the way up to the age of six. Um, now, with everything that's happened with COVID, we've decided to also extend that to having a pre-K program, which is one hour of carpet time every day, actually within the school, and open it up to the general public. That's excellent. And that's Young Minds in Motion. That is correct. And so, Derek, do you want to talk to us about the resource room? Sure. So the resource room was actually um, built and designed by my two partners, Sam and Joseph Cucurillo, uh, several years ago. And uh, when they asked me to come on board about four years ago, uh, we started expanding the operation a little bit to be a little bit more inclusive. So now what we offer is a program that provides students the opportunity to have not only a test prep, but it's also a learning center to do their, to do their homework to prepare for their classes on a regular basis. And, but more importantly, it gives them a sense of pride and joy of being able to come to a location that understands who they are, where they are, and how we can make their connections to school and home a little bit more easier. Between Young Minds in Motion and Resource Room, we both offer something very unique to the Staten Island community that currently isn't being offered under one house. Whether it's the pre-K or middle school or high school, or those students that are preteens and trying to navigate, what we figured out was that we offer a lot of different things for our community. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are meeting more Islanders with where they're at by partnering together. And I understand that that's something that you were even in talks about doing prior to the COVID-19 outbreak. And then that just accelerated this whole timeline for you guys to establish something together. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you're hearing people are going through right now and you know how you're able to help them? So I think one of the big things that I'm seeing um, and what I see a lot of more so than before was that parents are under a great deal of stress. And they are really, when they're walking in, they're almost coming in to a degree somewhat defeated. So I wanna reassure them that when you walk into our locations, we're gonna help you out. We're gonna help you navigate through the process of picking a time slot that works with you. We're gonna help you navigate the, the, the situation of going through Zoom versus going through face-to-face. -face. 
for our younger kids, I refer many, many clients that are uh, younger than, you know, our pre-K, our kindergarten, our six-year-olds, our seven-year-olds. I refer them over to Eric, and he handles that aspect of helping them. For my older kids, my second graders, my first grade, third graders, and up, one of the things that I try to listen to is what's going on with the parent when they're talking in terms of the challenges of their child, whether it be scheduling, whether it is in reference to what they like and don't like. So we try to pick up on all those things through our consult. So what we do is we're packaging something that's going to be fitting for them. How do you come up with a strategy that is the best strategy when you've never seen this ever in history? So as a result of that, you have parents that at the same time are looking for leadership and they don't have that leadership, not as a knock, just as you just never been through this particular thing. And so to, so that's probably the biggest thing that I'm hearing, that they have that uncertainty, they have that fear, they wanna be able to know what's gonna happen next. And like Derek said, you know, us partnering together, it was really came from the fact that one of those challenges, like you were asking, the challenge of I have a middle school child, I have a preschool child, and I may also have a high school child. Okay, my high school child, they may be able to sit in front of Zoom. My middle school child, I'm able to communicate a little bit with, but I'm also one human being, right? How in the world do I tackle all of these things at the same exact time and how do I do it proficiently? On the um, Young Minds in Motion webpage or website, there's a video when you first log in and I was drawn to it because it was talking about some of the milestones that students are supposed to hit during these formative years and we're talking about the isolation and the time that you know young students are going through right now or losing time. What are some of the milestones you want to share right now that people should stay on top of? Even though there's so much going on, these are things that maybe they should be hitting. I think that's very, very key, is that not to put undue pressure on the children. Um, so the first thing that I tell every parent is to actually dig deep and do a national assessment guide. A national assessment guide is something called an ASQ assessment. It's something that's used in almost every preschool throughout the entire country. It is a national standard. So it gives you an opportunity to really compare apples to apples and maybe not apples to your own expectations. You know, sometimes, you know, we'll turn around and we'll get parents that come in and the child will be five or six years old and they want them already doing math or doing multiplication. And they feel like maybe the child is behind and you're even seeing that more and more because children have been out of school for so many months that the parent is fearful that they're so far behind. So it's a great expectation or, or, or settle of nerves of expectation to sit down and say, okay, my child is 39 months. My child is one years old. Let me see what the national standard is. Let's see what my children are doing based upon that national standard and let's see exactly where the child is at. Um, we do that before any of our children are, are able to come into the building. So I call it kind of the diagnostic of the child, where you're able to see exactly where they are. You know, one of the things that we found ourselves in is that we're not just educators. And when they're coming to us, they're asking for our professional opinion. And 
being very forthright with somebody and, and, and giving them a true understanding of what it was that they tried to help you understand about their child has to be given back to them. And they're looking for confidence. And so I told many of our parents that the one thing that is, has to be understood is that we're all going through this together. Every student in every school is facing various challenges. And in the best of the perfect worlds that might be out there, this is putting everyone in a position of being on equal playing fields as they're each navigating this minefield together. I think the milestones that we have to come across, I agree with Eric, the expectation of the person rather than what it is the child can do, sometimes that has to be dealt with first. So what we found ourselves most recently is really reassuring the parent they're in the right direction. So I had to tell you, when we're working with the kids, one of the best things is that uh, we have a policy where the parents have to leave. They can't stay here with us. Um, they have to leave. And a lot of times the kids are like, they'll look over their shoulder and they'll, okay. You can see the sense of relief because that gives them the opportunity to be them. And what we are seeing consistently, because we're also doing um, the online virtual stuff, is this is an amazing time and things that the parents should really be concentrating on is really maybe not the X's and O's, the, 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 the straight um, education, but the creativity. We're seeing more creativity than I've probably seen in a long, long time. And we're stressing to all parents that that's something that they should really embrace, really stay on top of, and really make this a challenge as far as creativity of how they can do different things. Because here's the whole entire thing. We really don't know what the winter is going to hold. We really don't know if we're going to have a vaccine. We really don't know how long we're going to be in the situation that we're in. So I, again, back to expectations is not setting a false expectation that you want to know something. We're only going to be in this for six months or for a year. This may realistically Absolutely. be our norm for some time. And if we can stay creative throughout this time, what we're telling all parents and what we're seeing is creativity. So um, try to keep these kids as creative as humanly possible. Don't really concentrate on the X's and O's because the X's and O's will be able to get done if the child is creative enough to figure out a different solution to what is really happening. And that's really what's gonna really help them down the road is having the creativity to figure out problems. It sounds very resilient and I appreciate that mindset and um, the lesson learned about managing expectations I think is going to be refreshing for some. As we begin to wrap up today, you know, how do you stay so solution oriented right now through all of this? So, you know, as a private business owner, you have to figure out a solution in order for that business to stay alive. Um, and I think that's one of the gifts of us having a private business when it does come to education. And I would agree with Eric on that. You know, just with Resource Room Learning Center, not only did we connect with Young Minds in Motion and put things into practice here, but we also have a relationship and partnership with Wagner College Lifelong Learning. We also have a partnership with El Camino, which is an organization that uh, teaches high school students Spanish. So one of the things that we've done is to branch out into positions and we brought business to businesses together. And I want to really emphasize that it's a really important factor to support the small businesses on Staten Island, because we're the ones that are going to make the stronger connections with your children, but we're also have a vested interest in our own community. 
And I said, you know, when you see that and you take pride the way in which we do in that, we also have a relationship and partnership with various other nonprofit organizations that provide their, uh, their community a, a, a safe place to come to. So we offer the academics, but we also offer options. And I think you can go to a place like ours, Young Minds in Motion and Resource Room, and walk out with various options that provide you the opportunity to deal with what your children are going through and still remain local and still get a great product at the end. And I think because, like Eric said, business owners, yes, but we're also family members. We know what the struggle is. We feel it. And I think that's a major component of being part of the Staten Island community. It's challenging out there. Our job is to make it a little easier for them. Thank you for joining me today, sharing your passion, your compassion for everybody going through these difficult times. And I'm happy to uh, have caught up with you. With COVID-19 restrictions slowly being relaxed in New York, business owners across the island are finally able to get back to work, generate revenue, and reconnect with customers and clients. For some, the first chance to get back on their feet in six months. For Paul Inchinchira, who has owned and operated PI Fitness for 23 years. He says he and other neighborhood establishments were nearly ruined by circumstances that were no fault of their own. You have to be resilient and you have to know that you got to tough it out. And it's, it was a tough time. Six months was a, a really, really, I mean, you're talking about a small business that's been around a long time, you know, having to be shut down for six months. It was very difficult, trying at times, very difficult. Inchinchira says his loyal members helped keep him focused on better times ahead, with some donating cleaning supplies and hand sanitizers. Others even pitched in to help paint and refurbish the interior so it was ready to go at a moment's notice. He says he's finding locals are eager to get back into their workout routines. People really miss coming to the gym and the camaraderie and, you know, also the extensive equipment and just being around other people that motivate them in, in whatever their, you know, their fitness goals are. Inchinchira says his members have been real pros with following opening safety protocols. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, I spoke with Dr. Brahim Ardolik, the executive director of Staten Island University Hospital, he shared with me how the medical center's staff handled the surge of patients at the peak of COVID-19's wrath in the spring. I will tell you that if you look at the thing that saved the most people's lives and the thing that really we never fully understood how good we could be at it, repurposing locations and repurposing staff and repurposing, like we've been hearing for years about how, oh my gosh, we have no ICU capacity in the country. Well, it turns out we did. We went from routinely running our hospital between 90 and 95 percent ICU capacity and for three weeks we ran our ICU at our north site at 300 percent capacity and a smidge less than 300 at our south site we found ICU beds right so when we needed to because the the reality is was it was one of these recognitions that you know the hospital isn't necessarily a place it's a skill set and a group of people who are taking care of somebody so yeah I don't necessarily need to have a room that is exactly this number of square feet with exactly this and exactly that to be able to take care of somebody. We figured out quite early that, you know what, 
if you have motivated staff and you're willing to work with them and you're willing to give them and find them the correct PPE and find them everything that they actually need, you can take care of people in a way that you didn't think you necessarily could. That'll do it for this edition of On SI. A thank you to Wendy Pellegrino, Derek Barrero, Eric James, and Paul Chinchira. Please check out our website at onsi.nyc and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you would like to share, email it to us at stories at onsi.nyc. On behalf of the entire team, I'm Patty Murphy. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well.